We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stangle. Hello. Hi. How's it going? It's going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Happy hump day. I know. We're recording on a Wednesday night this week, which is weird. I don't think we've ever done that before. Uh, if we have, it's been a long time. Yeah. You were like, hey, can you record? And I was like, actually, yeah. I mean, why not? <laughs> uh, sure. Sure. <laughs> Sounds great. Let's do yeah. it. I got nothing but time. Mm-hmm. So welcome to August birthday month. It is Yay. the first week of the month of our births. <laughs> and... As has become tradition, <laughs> Maddie has picked a variety of topics this month, and I'm sure she's already forgotten them. I have, completely, <laughs> and I'm here for the chaos. <laughs> I don't, I've, it's, nope, I can't even guess. I think one of them's paranormal. At least one is paranormal. I think you're right. I can't remember. Yeah, at least one. It's it's on my spreadsheet, so I yeah. But yeah, I have her pick them <laughs> in early to mid July for a reason, so she forgets what they are by the time we actually get to them. Because I'm a real life Dory. <laughs> and then it's like surprise, whatever. You know, I get to it, and then I'm like, oh yeah, I said this looks fun. <laughs> in the spreadsheet. <laughs> Something about murder. Hey, this looks nice. Let's do this one. This one's nice. I like to hear about murder. So this week, to kick off birthday month, we are going to be discussing the Renwick Smallpox Hospital. (gasps) It's a haunted one! (laughs) (laughs) I knew it! Yay, ghosts! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <sighs> Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2022 The Bowery Boys article by Greg Young. 2020 The Travel article by Liana Tedesco. 2017 The Culture Trip article by Kaylee Rizzo. Atlas Obscura. Friends of the Ruin. Roosevelt Island Historical Society, and our friends over at Wikipedia. Nice. And links to all these articles will be included in the show notes. When you hear the term smallpox, what comes to mind? Painful bumps and crying babies. (laughs) Those are like the only people that really get it now. (laughs) (laughs) Poor babies. I put... The decimation of the indigenous peoples by the English during the French and Indian Wars. The blankets. Maybe thousands of deaths in Europe. 
Yeah, I was not that global on a Wednesday. <laughs> I mean, babies are pretty universal, so. <laughs> Crying babies and bumps. <laughs> they cross borders That's and true. oceans. Smallpox, which is similar to the Black Plague, has been around for more than 3,000 years. Dang. In fact, it was so prolific that it was known to wipe out entire towns, hitting urban areas particularly hard. That makes sense. Urban areas were super gross. If you think Mm -hmm. they're nasty now in certain cities, boy, you had no idea. It ain't got nothing on uh, old-timey England. We'll just say that. Donate to your local waste management facility. (laughs) No shit. (laughs) And that was a pun, but I didn't mean it to be, but it it is now. According to the World Health Organization, at its peak, it would claim the lives of one in ten children in Sweden and France and one in seven in Russia. Jeez. That's in, that's so many children. Mm-hmm. Dang. A vaccine for smallpox wasn't invented until 1796, which was probably a good thing considering on average up until that point... 400,000 people lost their lives from the illness each year in Europe alone. Holy smokes. You know, that's actually earlier than I anticipated a vaccine. Same. I was surprised. Yeah, I was thinking like maybe the 1900s or like late 1800s. We'll go into why you probably thought it came later. Okay. And it wasn't just the poor and working classes that were affected. No one was immune to smallpox. No. King Louis XV of France, along with other monarchs in Europe, fell victim to smallpox. Mm -hmm. Queen Elizabeth I, who caught it at the age of 29 and survived, often wore heavy lead-laced white makeup to conceal her pock marks, and as a result has become one of the most recognizable monarchs in history. I do remember that. Yep. Lead-based. I think I could, I didn't Google too hard for it, but I think that trend continued in the French aristocracy as well Mm -hmm. as a way to kind of cover up their smallpox marks. And they do do the purposeful beauty marks and stuff somewhere. Well, they do beauty marks and I feel like they did like weird design stickery things. And they did a lot of rouge. Yeah. Rouge was a big thing, too. But that would be really hard to cover, depending on what they, how many you had. Yeah. Smallpox proliferated during the Civil War, which lasted yeah. from April 1861 to April 1865. Many soldiers and immigrants alike found themselves infected with the disease. That makes sense. Yeah. A lot of people from different parts of the country all in one spot camping. Like no real no real like protection from the elements. Poor sanitation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Given how contagious the disease was, numerous smallpox hospitals were created around the country in remote locations in efforts to reduce the spread. Quarantine. Open air? Not for this one. Oh. That was for tuberculosis. Yeah. You're standing in front of this really cold, windy window and breathe. Breathe deep, Johnny. Breathe deep. 
I taste blood. It's working. <laughs> it's it, perfect. That's exactly what we want. Look at those beautiful Rockies. <laughs> Anywho. One such location was on what is known today as Roosevelt Island in New York City, previously known as Blackwell's Island, which we've discussed before in our episode about Nellie Bly. Mm-hmm. The hospital that was constructed there was known as the Renwick Smallpox Institute, and an ideal quarantine spot considering it was only accessible by a ferry ride across the East River. Yeah. Well, and a good spot for New York. People coming in, they look sick, put them back on a ferry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to the island! Boat to a ferry. Yeah. Located on the southern tip of the island, for several years it was the only smallpox hospital in existence in New York City. That's insane. Mm-hmm. It gets more insane. Oh, great. <laughs> As they all do, Maddie. Right. We've been here before. <laughs> it escalates so quickly. <laughs> The city of New York had been vaccinating its citizens as far back as 1801, but as the unvaccinated population of the city continued to grow, smallpox became responsible for 25 out of every 1,000 deaths. Jeez. Mm-hmm. It's like not much better at all. No. No. Cool. Construction of the hospital began on April 1st, 1854, and as it was being built, patients were still being treated on the island in what physician William Kelly noted as, quote, a pile of poor wooden outhouses on the banks of the river, end quote. So yeah, like the Rocky Mountain hospitals. <laughs> Pretty much. You like fresh air? Great. Sit in this hut, Daryl. We got it. Get better, idiot. <laughs> get better and get. <laughs> Renwick was the first major U.S. hospital dedicated to victims of smallpox, and prisoners of Blackwell Island, because remember, Blackwell was also home to an asylum and a prison. Yep. Our fun combo. It's now a trifecta of fun. Yeah. Were used to quarry, cut, dress, and lay stonework for the structure, because free labor. I mean, I get it. I mean, they might as well do something. No. It's really not great, but like, no. true. Like, what else do they have to do on That's an true. island? That's true. Prison? Fresh air. Fresh air. <laughs> Go on and get. <laughs> what set Renwick apart from other institutions of the day was the fact that the smallpox hospital wasn't being built for the express purpose of treating charity cases. Given how contagious and serious the illness was, those who had the means to pay for treatment were also seen. Oh, snap. But they Mm -hmm. hated that. (laughs) (laughs) The original smallpox hospital was built between 1854 and 1856 and designed by James Renwick Jr. That's really late. Well, it took, yeah, it took two years for them to finish building it. Dang. James was well known for his Gothic revival style, as well as St. Patrick's Cathedral on Madison Avenue and the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. Yeah, let's have his stylings be a hospital for <laughs> on an island. It is. For the sick, insane, and criminally inclined. Mm-hmm. It is a beautiful building, if you look at pictures of it. But, you know, you would go, you'd be in an insane asylum for, like, depression or anxiety. 
Mm-hmm. So at least you had like something nice to look at. That's true. Well, and with smallpox, you're either going to die or you're going to get better and you're going to leave eventually. So Yeah. Might as well be in a nice spot. Yep. The hospital, which was three stories high and built in a U shape, although that was later. Never mind. Boasted locally sourced gray NIS on the facade. Its footprint was roughly 100 by 40 square feet, or 30.5 by 12 square meters. It boasted a variety of detailing, such as a light-filled tower with recessed arches, a small cupola above the main entry, a large single-story porch with a bay window. Just one. Just one. Not to mention the number of parapets, pointed arches, and mullioned windows. Nice. So if you weren't hallucinating from the fever, (laughs) you could enjoy the space. (laughs) Yeah. The hospital officially opened on December 18th, 1856, with a total construction cost of $38,000, or around $1,325,000 today. I mean, for a hospital, that's not that bad. Yeah, that's pretty cheap for a hospital, actually. Right, but it was small. So Yeah, it was small. It was baby hospital. Yeah, little baby. The previous wooden hospital outhouses that had been treating patients up until that point were destroyed by a fire in 1857, necessitating the quick transfer of those patients into the new hospital. Oh God, they were still there. <laughs> they were still out there. Oh no. I thought they would have transferred them all. <laughs> I thought that too. I was like, why are they still outside? You know they set that up on fire on purpose. <laughs> so we can be in the nice stone building with the porch they're like guess what it's winter and it's cold out here (laughs) you've got nice mullioned windows i'm gonna set this on fire right my god the patients officially moved in on january 3rd 1857 so i'm assuming they set it on fire like on new year's day or something (laughs) Happy New Year! Let us in! My New Year's resolution is to get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Whether it's with my last breath or (laughs) the fire's last breath, we're leaving. All lang syne! (laughs) The hospital was built to house 100 patients at a time. That is not enough. Nope. I think we can see where this is going. Yep. Following the opening of its doors, the number of patients soared to around 7,000 each year. And of that number, around 450 of them each year would not recover, a.k.a. passed away. That's not great. No. I mean, it's not half. But it's still not great. But it's not great. (laughs) Bet you wish you had the the wood shack now, don't you? (laughs) Right. Can you rebuild that wooden outhouse? I'd like to go back outside, sir. I'd like to be alone. (laughs) With my thoughts and my pox. My little shanty. (laughs) (laughs) Vaccinations were a common medical practice by the mid-19th century, but regardless, the plague continued to spread throughout New York City. The disease was extremely common amongst immigrants, and as a result, quarantine measures were made even more severe 
prior to anyone being allowed into the country. Yeah. We know what that's like now. Parallels. Yeah. Yep. Physician William Sanger noted that the new building was, quote, admirable, end quote. Oh, no. (laughs) What a backhanded compliment. (laughs) Oh, they tried, didn't they? (laughs) And this sentiment was backed up by several practicing physicians and staff in the years that followed. Oh, that's so cute. The lower floors were reserved for charity cases, while private rooms on the upper floors were available to patients who could afford them. You got the view if you were paying for it. Right. Regardless, the disease continued to affect New York as late as 1871. Yeah. Yeah. The Board of Health assumed control of the hospital in 1875 from the Commission of Charities and Correction and had the building converted into a home for nurses, as well as a maternity and charity hospital training school. Gosh, why do they always put pregnant women where, like, sick people were for years? Because people don't care about women. That's true. That's true. That checks out. Yeah. The building was renamed Riverside Hospital and began serving a broader community of patients on Blackwell slash Roosevelt Island, because at that time it was still known as Blackwell. Okay. Riverside. What a, what a pretty little name. It's, you know, it's on the river. The side of the river. You want to have your baby on the river? Where? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, like Moses. Established in 1875, the school became associated with Charity Hospital, which would later be known as City Hospital, and resided just north of the original Smallpox Hospital. As the school began to grow and the program began to expand, the smallpox hospital was converted to housing for the nursing students, and a new hospital for smallpox and other contagious diseases was constructed on North Brothers Island, so the island next door, basically. Hmm. The decision to construct the new quarantine hospital on a separate island was to further isolate it from the growing population on Blackwell, which by the turn of the century was around 7,000. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, that checks out with New York. (laughs) Yeah. They like to expand quickly. Yeah. During the span of the two decades that the smallpox hospital was in operation, from 1856 to 1875, it treated roughly 133,000 patients. Dang. For a 100-bed hospital, that's impressive. Mm Mm-hmm. Between 1903 and 1905, north and south wings were added to the central building to provide classrooms, dormitories, and training wards for nursing students and staff. The southern wing was constructed by the firm of York and Sawyer, while the northern wing was completed by Renwick, Aspinwall, and Owen following the death of James Renwick Jr. in 1895. In the 1920s, interest and funding that once helped Roosevelt Island prosper started to wane, and it was renamed Welfare Island, with the Renwick Hospital quickly abandoned. Oh, no. Yeah. They're a little too literal with their names, aren't they? Yeah. (laughs) Poor people place. (laughs) Riverside. (laughs) In the 1970s, Renwick was added to the National Register of Historic Places, making it the first ruined landmark in New York City. Oh, no. We can't restore it. It's ruined. It's, <laughs> it's just bad. 
Sorry, guys. <laughs> we're too late. But we like it, so we're going to register it. <laughs> it's going to stay, but like we're not going to fix it. It's, it, it's ruined. <laughs> it is also registered as a state and city landmark. Of course it is. This trash is ours. <laughs> Screw you guys. We licked it and it's ours. That's, a, that's my rock. That's my rock. <laughs> that's my ruin. It's my porch. Whether or not that porch still exists, it's mine. Get away from it. Take your welfare somewhere else. <laughs> As you can imagine, the island and the ruins are considered to be extremely haunted. And although you can visit Renwick today from Manhattan via the tram or subway, it is ill-advised due to structural and safety concerns. <laughs> I'm sorry, coming from New York, that's really not saying much. <laughs> like the whole town pretty much just needs to be redone if you're worried about safety. Yeah. But it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not happen. It's never going to happen. Just let, let them be. Let them visit. The Landmarks Preservation Commission does have plans to have the structure renovated and preserved to the tune of $4.5 million, but other than some reinforcement to the walls to prevent it from completely collapsing, no work has been done to this point. Yeah, it sounds like a scam. Yeah, wait till I kind of, I'll say at the end kind of what they want to put there. Uh. Of the ruins themselves, architectural historian Paul Zucker noted in his 1968 book, Fascination in Decay, which that sounds like an interesting book. Yeah, it does. Noted that the ruins of the smallpox hospital, quote, or they, they evoke, quote, an expression of an eerie romantic mood, a palpable documentation of a period in the past, something which recalls a specific concept of architectural space and proportion, end quote. Hey, you know, all the dead bodies. <laughs> yeah. Which may, may or may not be here on the island. Who knows? Is that dust? <laughs> Let's find out. Additionally, in a report written by the New York City Landmarks Preservation Commission, in which they designated the ruins as a New York City landmark, it stated, quote, The smallpox hospital could easily become the American equivalent of the great Gothic ruins of England, such as the late 13th century Tintern Abbey in Monmouthshire, which has been admired and cherished since the 18th century as a romantic ruin, end quote. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> romantic ruin. It's freaking smallpox. <laughs> to end on a positive note, through worldwide vaccination efforts, smallpox was eradicated in 1979 and to date is the only disease to be completely wiped out through human intervention, with the last known case taking place in Somalia in 1977. Did they get better? Do we know? We don't know. I don't, I don't know. I hope they got better. I hope so, too. So, the thing they want to put on this island... Stop. Stop. What is it? They want to build a COVID memorial. They better make it out of wood so we can burn it down. <laughs> when I read that, you gotta put I, did it. It, I did a double take. And they were like, this is the perfect place because, you know, COVID. 
end. I was just like, what? Shut up. God. No. Yeah. If you don't believe me, click the link in the show notes for Friends of the Ruin. Friends of the Ruin. Yep. We're all friends here. Mm-hmm. COVID. We remember the shanties. <laughs> <laughs> Memoriesoftheshanties.com. And that new New Year's Eve fire that allowed us to go inside the building. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh That's- that was a smallpox hospital. Hated it. Yep. Yeah. Way to go, Madison. <laughs> Way to pick a good one. <laughs> Starting off strong. <laughs> Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Yield Crime Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Yield Crime Podcast. On TikTok, of course you are. Follow us at Yield Crime Podcast. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well just of our Can You Crack the Cramp Word segments. In August of 1980, Carol Bundy confessed her connection to the Sunset Strip Slayer who had been terrorizing Los Angelinos all summer. In September of 2012, the cult of the Unification Church, also known as the Moonies, mourned the death of their leader, Sun Myung Moon. Tune into Murder Murder News every Friday to hear us detangle another twisted tale from true crime history. If you're an amateur sleuth who hopes to someday solve a cold case or locate a missing person, tune into Murder Murder News and start off your search with a deep dive into some fascinating and very solvable cases. We always take a victim-first stance and like to focus on crimes affecting marginalized communities, which typically don't get enough media attention. Subscribe to Murder Murder News wherever you get your podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. This week's podcast plug is the Murder Murder News podcast, which is your source for the latest breaking true crime news, TV reviews, and all things spooky. Nice. Best friends Aurora and Angelina connect weekly to talk murder. With their website murdermurder.news, a supportive following on social media, and their weekly YouTube series, This Week in True Crime, the MMN podcast is great for anyone who can't watch their web series. MMN is part of the Darkcast Network. Nice. And there will be a link to their website in the show notes. So what's something uh, something good you'd like to share this week? Oh man, I've been really hammocking it up and it's been great. I'll preface this. I don't, I don't know if I've said it again. Dory Memory Bank. We've got this cool little setup. We live on the first floor of an apartment and we've got a patio. And so we've been able to hang a hammock on like the banisters because they're structurally sound. 
<laughs> and so um load bearing they're load bearing my fiance started his job a new job recently and he leaves earlier in the day and so i i have recently decided to get up early with him and that gives me time to be outside with the pups and so we just like watch the squirrels and i drink coffee and swing on the hammock and we we did a recent rehabilitation of our plants and we got some like we really some box elder bugs just obliterated the roots of like two of our indoor plants because we had no idea that there was such a nasty box elder bug problem in the apartment and in about like a month they're going to be really bad again for like two months it's gross but there were like a ton of box elder bug eggs just embedded in the Mm. roots of a couple of our plants so we spent most of sunday rehabilitating the like taking all those out repotting them giving them better like plant food soil and they're all doing super great and i'm really excited we've got a monstera plant that was hit the hardest his name is dave and i think he's gonna be okay he's already starting to like branch up and we got a new monstera named steve and he has He's got two new sprouts since Sunday, so they're doing well. We put like a bunch of like insect stuff where it needed to be in the soil, so we're hoping they'll be protected, but it was just really nice, like taking the time to do that, despite it being super gross Mm -hmm. and like sad that we didn't catch it, because you don't know, like Mm -hmm. the box elder bugs eggs are like these tiny yellow eggs so they look like the pebbles and like the soil mix Mm. and the only the only way you know that they're not is they're yellow and not white Mm. yeah super messed up so i hate it it was it was all bad (laughs) gross so yeah just hammocking and plant caring planting planting and caring gardening so yeah that was my good thing. What about you? What's one good thing? Okay. I'll I okay. I got one. <laughs> ah, okay, fine. It's sort of a good thing. So I hate scary movies. I hate yes. suspenseful movies. They make my heart hurt and then I feel yep. like I'm gonna go into cardiac arrest and need to yep. go to the hospital. Yeah, but same. Knowing all that, Thomas and I had a date night on Saturday night Mm -hmm. while I basically threw the children at mom and dad and was like, here, we're going to go on a date. (laughs) Take them. We went and got ramen and we made a special unplanned trip into Dinky Town (laughs) and hit up Insomnia Cookies and the Mochi Donut Place that's across the street. Dang, did you try the Korean... Corn dog? No. Place that's over there? I didn't know it was there, or we would have <sighs> next time. We we want to do that. We should do that before the kids go back to school, like college kids. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, I was like, oh, I should message Maddie and see if she wants to go there sometime. The answer is yes. I want a cheese corn dog so bad. Put a little fries on it. 
But yeah, the mochi donuts were insane. Really, really good. They kind of nice. look like a teething ring, but yeah, delicious. Yeah. And they had bober tea, which is just boba tea, but they added an er at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Bober tea, delicious. And then that was like lulling me into a false sense of security before we went and saw Nope. And oh man, I don't do well with suspense. Mm-hmm. And before we even left the house, Thomas was like, do you want a blanket or something? I grabbed my axolotl squishmallow and was mm-hmm. like, I don't care that I'm almost 40 years old. I am bringing this to the movie theater and I am going to squeeze the living shit out of it when I'm <laughs> terrified. And he was Perfect. like, I'm cool with that. I was like, OK, yeah. good, because I'm doing it. And yeah. so you have a choice. It was a good movie. There were definitely parts of it that I did not like. Yeah. Jordan Jordan Peele does a he's does an incredible job, but he also is he ugh, does not hold back. Yeah, there's some stuff with a chimp chimpanzee that I, I really didn't like. Mm-hmm. But it was good. At the end of the movie, because I had the squish model in my left hand, my left arm. And I'm pretty sure I shifted the stuffing around in it by the time the movie was done. It had a cons- it had a noticeable dent in the middle of it. And I was also holding on to a couple of Thomas's fingers. And at the end of the movie, I was like, are you okay? And he's like, uh, kind of. <laughs> like, my fingers hurt just a little bit. And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I am proud of myself for going, even though I did not want to go. And it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. That's awesome. So... That's my good thing. Yeah. If you were to like step back into it, a Jordan Peele movie is a good dip back in. Mm-hmm. Because Thomas seems to be convinced that I saw Get Out with him and I said, no, I haven't. I haven't watched that. I don't think I have either. I was like, I've heard of it. I have seen clips from it, but I have never watched the full thing and we certainly never watched it together. Mm-hmm. So on that note... <laughs> A great way to support the show if you want to help us out, but can't do so financially, which is totally cool. You can leave us a review, preferably five stars, on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods. You can now leave ratings on Spotify or wherever there's platforms that you are allowed to leave reviews on. This week's review comes from our friend Trevor, and it was posted over on Podchaser. And they say, this is definitely one of the most unique podcasts I've ever listened to. (laughs) For one thing, the hosts are very funny and great together. It probably helps that they are sisters. Yeah, it does. But the thing that really makes it stand out is that they only cover stories from before 1900. So I hadn't heard about most of the stories they tell. And I'm always learning something new when I listen. They're also very active on Twitter. I kept updating them on my progress, and it was exciting seeing their excitement. I can't recommend this podcast enough. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Trevor. That's awesome. If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me a Coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material, Become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, 
or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, if you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby, or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. On that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. <laughs>